All right, so welcome to Startup Business Q&A, episode 228. This week is an AMA, an Ask Me Anything. So uh, <clears throat> I need to do these ones every so often because uh, I think I get the most, probably the most fun from this particular thing, of, of this particular topic, if you like, of uh, any questions you might have rather than on one particular topic. And uh, they're the most well received. So this is, this is the topic that people prefer the most, it appears to be. People are always asking, you know, or uh, always saying, rather, I really like the EMAs, uh, please do more of them. So maybe I should try and do maybe one a month or something like that. I think that would be reasonable uh, to, to do. So um, first off, if you're watching right now uh, on the replay, pop yourself in the comments and let us know uh, if you're a part of hashtag replay and where you're watching from. If you're watching live right now, then do put in there where you're watching from so we can see uh, where you're located and also team live, hashtag team live if you're watching right now. It's an AMA, ask me anything, so you can literally ask anything within reason, within reason, of course. Um, and I wanted to say thank you to the marvelous StreamYard uh, for, um, for supporting and sponsoring my live shows. Uh, they are my partner officially, so uh, they are hosting on <clears throat> the Facebook and LinkedIn stream. They are also, as well as that they are they are uh, say that they are sponsoring the show itself so we will have uh I'll have a way in which you can tap into this partnership because uh i've arranged with restream that you if you want to try live streaming and and or you can of course do recordings to restream as well um you get a load of credit uh ten dollars in fact so if you want to uh get access to that let me know and you can jump in and uh to and make use of that and i, I will pop that up on the comments uh, on the captions in a minute in the meantime uh thank you very much everyone who's jumping in let us know if you're watching right now where you're watching from and uh, just jump up to the chats where you're watching from and if you're watching as part of hashtag team live or hashtag team replay shout out for those of you watching igtv on instagram the replay and of course those of you listening to the podcast if you're on a commute in your car whatever you're doing uh, amazing to do that uh, let's look at the uh, first people coming through. So good to see you here. Being a messenger, Team Live <clears throat> from Wales. Um, she says, Mohammed, uh, Umar Farouk as well. Uh, good to see you here. Uh, to keep in touch, she says, we'll share our experience and grow links. It's always good to do. And uh, yeah, if you're watching, like I say, if you're watching right now, let us know where you're watching from and what your questions are. Ask me anything today. So we'll go live uh, for a bit. Thank you already, those of you through uh, Facebook who have submitted questions. And being a messenger, you're watching right now on Facebook. So let's get into your question <clears throat> right away. So your, your question is, what advice would you give to someone who is terribly shy to do her own videos? What tips also to get over the initial fear? So the thing is, if you're just starting, because if you're really well established, you're probably maybe not quite as, as fearful. So it may not what worry, uh, worry, worry you quite as much. But if you're just starting out, probably no one's going to see them anyway so you can get used to doing them and go from there i do think it's worth remembering that it's like with anything the first time as a baby you started taking steps it was probably difficult but you had an outcome in mind that made it worthwhile <clears throat> the outcome tends to be like the jubilation of your parents and that you can move around a bit and get somewhere quicker but as you know it's the same here you've got to ask yourself why do you want to um, do video. Why? What's the what's the reason? If it's because other people are doing it, maybe that's not strong enough a reason to get you to, to, to actually flick on the camera. Um, so you've got to ask, what's the point in doing it? And it may well be that you say to yourself, do you know what? My business will help. 
or be helped rather if I do that. And this is how this is how I got over it to start with. I said to myself, it's a bit cringe and a bit weird to start with doing video. Um, I remember doing Instagram stories, a selfie video of myself. I was like, what what am I doing? But the reason why I did it was because my business would benefit from it. That's the crucial part. My suggestion is commit to eight or ten. If you do like eight with frequency, so this is each, you know, do one a day. Don't do like eight in a year. Do one a day or do a 30-day challenge or something like that. Do eight at least because after about eight, you're like, okay, I'm getting the hang of it. You might not be any good, but you're getting the hang of it. And you maybe don't really really like it that much, but but the main thing is you just kind of get, get naturalized to doing it. And what's really crucial is to look at your expectations as well. This is the same with anything new. If your expectations are on your first ever video to absolutely crush it and do the best video ever, well, now you're going to be too much of a perfectionist and you'll never actually ship the video itself. You'll just you know, be tinkering with it. You'll do 500 takes. It's just absurd. So instead, change your expectations and your objectives should be technically to shoot and post the video. That's it. So I would strongly suggest you don't take mul do multiple takes. OK, I always try and do everything in one take, even if it's a bit off. No one really cares that much. I mean, really, do you care if I say I'm or uh, that much? Not really. So all of my videos that I post online are from this live stream. So they're all recorded in the one take. And I and yes, I've got a lot of experience doing it, but like just just try doing it with the expectation that you will simply technically produce a video and then post it. And the outcome beyond that doesn't matter. So if you if you get amazing engagement and it goes viral, well, great, that was a bonus. But don't expect anything from the first few because the, the objective is simply to try it, to do it and nothing else to it than that. Um, so it's a really good question. That's what I would suggest is lower your expectations, just produce them. Plan what you're going to do as well. Like, what are you going to say? And what's the point? Maybe you share one tip for 30 seconds. What's the one tip you can share about what you're doing? Or maybe make it really meta and simply look at your camera and say, I'm doing my first ever video right now. I'm really nervous. So I'm now going to turn off the camera and post it because the objective here is just to post a video. That's what I would try and do. Because ultimately, probably lesser people than you, certainly you, you being a, um, have done it before and been fine. You know, deep down, you'll be fine. You know, deep down, the world won't end if you do it. So like, do eight challenge yourself this is a challenge to you uh, since you asked Bina that's what I would that's what I would do um and what you're doing is you're focusing like I say on the on the outcome of posting a video and nothing else it doesn't have to be good that can be an objective further down the line just focus on the post for now okay that, that's what I'd say great uh, bit, great question and if you've got any advice as well for Bina pop it into the comments uh, what's your piece of advice for someone who is terribly shy to do her own or his own videos um, thank you very much for submitting that. Those of you joining in just right now, we are part of, we're, we're doing a, a live show called a, an AMA and Ask Me Anything. So this week uh, in Startup Business Q&A, you can ask anything you like within reason, um, making it, of course, reasonably focused on startup business and this kind of world. And uh, if you have ask a question, pop it into the comments and I will try and answer them live here on Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn. Thank you to Restream for partnering with me. Uh, if you want to access the $10 credit, there is, if you're on Facebook and LinkedIn, you can see on the screen right now, you can actually go to restream.io 
slash join slash Richard Moore. And if you um, if you go in there, you automatically be given ten dollars of credit just to try it. And you don't have to do live. You can actually use it to record video uh, and, and try it literally right there. So, Bina, there's an incentive for you. You get ten dollars of credit, which you can use to cover the cost of the uh, of the first few videos. That hopefully should help you out. Those of you who want to try it, go and jump in there. If you're watching on Instagram right now, you can't see that. So, restream.io slash join slash Richard Moore, and you will automatically get a ten dollar credit assigned to you by going in that way. So, thank you very much, Restream, for. Uh, your awesome um, support doing that. Next question, James Perry. How do you differentiate your product or service or yourself from the competition? So there's two things I really need to say is, firstly, there is a, a video I shot, it must have been four years ago, about uh, the Vrin model, uh, which was later evolved to uh, VRIO model, which is kind of a management model, if you like. Um, that uh, a professor, uh, I think it was the University of Utah, called Jay Barney, um, uh, evolved uh, many, many years ago. So if I remember right, uh, B stands for valuable. So it has to be a value. You have to have a valuable service. It's of use to people to give them a competitive advantage, or you have to be useful with your experience or whatever it is, James. Um, R means it needs to be rare. So what that suggests is that someone can't... Um, uh, like they can't easily um, with the same tools that you have, they can't easily duplicate what you've got. So that's what that's often the case. If you're a consultant like you are, James, or someone you've got the kind of their level of experience you've got, it, that's very hard to duplicate. Also, it's got to be inimitable, which means it really can't be duplicated by competitors so easily. So you're, it's very unique in simply how you produce the service. Uh, and it's not easily, um, uh, what's the word? It's not easy duplicated is best, is best. And then O is that you have to have organization. And what that means is you can easily build a system or process to deploy this proposition you have. So, you know, whatever your service or product is, you should be able to easily deploy it. If it's an absolute nightmare to ship one unit of your service or product or yourself to one person, then then it's not particularly well organized. So VRIO is, is, is the model which you should be trying to apply to, to see if you're going to have a competitive advantage. I would add that like, perhaps a little bit more sim simplistic than that kind of audit is that you need to focus on focus beyond the niche. Because people say the rich is in the ni niches. It's like different, different way of saying it. But, but the point is that the more tight you are with who you're focusing on, the more um, you will mine the seam of people that can really win with you. Now, I would go further than focusing on a niche. I would say you should focus on a hyper niche. So many people are aware of me and my experience for um, and, and ability to help you with selling. However, I've made it tighter than that. So the, the, the niche co goes from helping people as a coach in sales to um, more of a slightly more hyper niche, hyper being tighter, uh, which which is focusing on conversion to get clients so closing in that kind of space there. So the conversion uh, um, into a sales call or meeting and then actually having to close how, how to close that part. So that's the bit I focus on. But then I've gone deeper. I specifically focus this on on consultants and some coaches as well. So they're the type of people. So there's another filter applied. And then I have a third filter, which is that I do it on LinkedIn. So I specifically focus on LinkedIn. So at the moment, my hyper niche, if you like, is that I focus on getting consultants 
new clients using LinkedIn. And I'm cutting out huge amounts of my ecosystem with the proposition that way, but I really am targeted on the right people this way. So maybe you need to look at being more niche. Uh, I know that you help accountancy accountants pass their exams, but what's great is that you haven't just taken that holistically. You've actually said, and specifically within that, I look at things like mindset and anxiety and performance in the exams themselves, and that's something slightly different. So that's a that's a fantastic way to do it. See what your hyper niche is. It's really important. Moody Blue Two on Instagram here has said back on the VRIO. Uh, a VRIO model, I need help with the O. And so what you need to think about is what systems do you have that help you deploy the service? Um, DM me if you like uh, Moody Blue. It'd be good to hear about what your service is. I can certainly uh, would enjoy helping you flesh out what that O bit looks like. But if you don't have it, it means you might have a really competitive proposition, but not be able to actually get it as readily as you might into the hands of a potential buyer or user. So it needs to be fixed. Um, but yeah, that, that's the place often people have a problem with and that's where people often aren't able to scale it so easily uh, or build a team to be honest so but yeah dm me and i'll happily help with it and um, those of you joining right now thank you very much for doing so this is startup business q a episode 228 uh, so we are getting on for four and a half years of this now uh, live on instagram facebook and in and uh, linkedin and if you have a question you can ask anything today and see who's jumped in uh, in chat in uh, the other platforms. So uh, Alejandro B is watching on um, LinkedIn. I don't know where you're watching from, I'm afraid, uh, but thank you very much for doing so. Your flag didn't come through in the caption. Um, Karen Townsend has asked a question. How do you decide which avenue to follow if you have more than one option in London? Good to see you, Karen, in London. So if you have more than one option, it's okay, it's allowed. Uh, but you should have a, I, in my opinion, you should have a central thrust of what you do. I can do loads of stuff, you know. I've been asked to speak at events. Uh, people have paid me to do like keynotes uh, present and presentations. I've been asked to do corporate training. Um, you know, I have micro online courses, basic sales, uh, monetize you, basics of, of uh, LinkedIn and so on. But the main thing I focus on is getting consultants, clients on LinkedIn through my accelerator and for my um and through through my direct one-on-one -on -one coaching so what i suggest you do is remember that you don't have to put everything into say your bio or your or your um or your marketing message because as long as the other things you do are relevant in that ecosystem don't overlook the fact that there's a huge amount of human curiosity in this world and if you're interesting and stimulating enough People will check you out because that's just what they do. They will have a look around and they'll go, ah, this person has this thing as well. So I don't massively promote my podcast, for instance. My podcast is just the audio version of this. So you just go to iTunes, type startup Q&A, Richard Moore, and, you, and it'll come up. And like, I don't massively promote that, but it's the thing I have. And people find it because, you know, it's in there. And with enough curiosity, people check it out. But the main thing is to focus on your main thing. Because otherwise, you're, you're not being clear what it is you do because there's too many things, okay? So chase the one thing that's like your flagship product and the rest will actually get picked up. Mention them here and there, but in the main, you need to thrust forward with one. Uh, that's what's worked best for me, at least. It really has made a big difference. Far better than, you know, having multiple profiles and things like that, for example. Good question, Karen. Thanks for that. Uh, Bridget uh, Terramotini watching on LinkedIn. Good to see you here. 
Uh, also, Alejandra B, doing my fourth week of Facebook Lives. It just became a routine then. It becomes easier. Well done. Well done. I remember it's like getting on for five years. It was my, well, my first live was on in 2000 and, um, and si would it be 2016? Yeah, 2016, uh, early on in 2016. It was like, I remember I was sweating afterwards. I was really nervous for some, some crazy reason because I'd done so many other things like that in the past but like it was the first one so yeah within a few i was like this is fine it's not that hard you just got to talk about your thing you know and and i'm really glad you're jumping in congratulations the man really awesome to to read that uh good morning from darrow beach says carolina mankowski on linkedin uh over in florida richard playfair here in the uk has asked how do you get leads to reveal their budget when they're asking you for a quote when quotes are impossible to give because they haven't provided a full brief so we're talking about this is a really good question. Thank you, Richard, for asking questions that I like about to do with sales. What we want to do is, is establish here. Clearly, we're, we're early on. We're early on in the process. Uh, we haven't necessarily got uh, a, um, a a full brief for them yet. But what we need to do is be really clear with them uh, that about something that that they can buy and understand how much they can spend. It's a really good way of doing it. There's two ways to do it. Let's be really clear. You can be candid and say, so what budget have you got to spend on something like this? If you've got a, a, even a modicum of rapport, you'd be surprised how being direct can really work. So as long as you're speaking to the right person, just like if you're bold enough, just ask and tends to be people can answer it. People tend to not go, well, that'll be telling. I'm not going to say, you know, it's far better to say like, just let's be really transparent with each other so we can get everything done correctly. What kind of ballpark budget are we looking at that you can spend on this kind of thing? But the problem with that, the downside, I mean, the truth is it tends to get you a number, but it tends to also have a downside because you haven't earned enough uh, buy-in through deployment of value yet that they will want to give you, uh, you know, the highest amount. They will probably hedge a bit. They'll probably go a bit low and you're not going to get necessarily a full pitch and you don't have too much gaming going on. So um, there are other ways of doing it. And rather than asking outright, the alternative, I feel, are really or an alternative is to ask a series of questions that identify what kind of money they're making each month. So certainly with small companies, this works tremendously well. You can ask questions like, you know, out of interest, how many clients have you got at the moment? And then when they give you an answer, you say, okay, so, so what kind of products have you got? What are the services? Oh, these are different services, right? And then you simply say to them, so just out of interest with those different services, what price points have you got? So then you've established through questions, actually, this client has this this prospect has three clients and those three clients are each paying them about three grand each. OK, makes about nine grand a month. So it is an interesting, you know, there's a, no, a slightly longer route, but it's a softer way of asking rather than just on the nose directly. It really does work quite well. Um, and, you know, it, it's hard to give a quote when you haven't got the full brief. I totally agree with you for that. Um, but when they're asking you for a quote, you should always make sure that you're 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 not pressuring them but taking you're, you're you're leading a process of making sure um they they do kind of the process you want them to so what i'm saying here is you don't just fire money at a fire a price at someone you don't just fire a proposition at someone you don't say have a look at my brochure then you want to get them on a call you want to warm them up and speak to them and show them that you're relatable and like them and a good guy and someone worth working with and then you want to you know, moving to a point where, in principle, they want to work with you. So you close them in principle on them liking the value of what you have to offer. Then they get to hear the price. And at that point, um, 
that's because they've already, they've only earned the right to hear the price because they actually are keen to um, to move forward because in principle they love your 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 proposition. So that's a good way of doing it. And and if they're like, look, it's too much money, don't get off the phone and say go and think about it. Or I'll worse is to get I'll say I'll go and think about a better price or something. Certainly don't offer a different price. The better way to do it is to simply say to them, so what kind of ballpark figure would it need to be? What would we need to be looking at in order for you to feel more comfortable? Hear from them what they have instead at that point, because you may find if you're offering something at 10 grand and they, they say, well, I can spend, you know, well, I expect it to be more like five, then you know that actually you're miles off and they're feeling that your um, proposition's worth a lot less. Or so I've had it before when someone says they felt bad because they felt like they were, they were gonna be totally lowballing me. And they said they could only afford like $500 left at less. And I was like, that's not much off. It's absolutely fine. So, you know, it's, it, you've got to hear from them what they have to say. It's a really good question, though. Thank you for that, Richard. Let's see who's jumped in on Instagram. Good to see you here. Harper Darrell, uh, Sterling, amazing to see you here. Sterling Spellman from uh, Better With Paul, amazing fun too. I can't believe it's been over a week already since I did the presentation with you in BWP Connect. Amparo Lopez Santa, good to see you here as well. Mustafa Bakatawa, good to see you here too. Uh, my friend Paulina Limier, amazing having you on the stream. Thank you for watching. Erin J. Brown is here too. And Moody Blue, too, good to see you too. Creative, uh, Creative Edge Inc. is here as well. Many of you joining, thank you for watching. So cool uh, to have you here. Let's see what else we've got on uh, LinkedIn and Instagram. Uh, good evening from Delhi, says Rajani. Uh, hi from New York, says Patricia. Uh, Roger Wilkerson on the Facebook. Where is your favorite piano bar? Roger, this question needs some context, I think. Um, so um, last, so Roger Wilkerson, who you, uh, you should be connected to, all of you here. If you're not, go check him out. The guy's immense amount of experience in filmmaking. And uh, last year he was shooting firstly in Vienna, I believe. No, secondly in Vienna. He shot in Australia, if I'm right, I'm right as well, but also in Las Vegas, the Bobby the Bear series. Now, Bobby the Bear sounds like a friendly children's uh, TV show. It is not. Don't find it and share it with your children because there are a number of expletives dotting through the uh, the, the, um, the kind of pieces he does. But Bobby the Bear is a real life influencer, is an actual like stuffed toy. And Roger had a really clever idea that when, um, when professionals speak to a stuffed toy, um, they actually may, may lower their inhibitions and speak a bit more openly. And, and it is actually, it was a really fascinating social experiment, uh, but it's gone really well. And, and in fact, Bobby the Bear does consulting and things like that you may think is absurd but it genuinely is a really effective way of doing things now bobby the bear the movie yes that is a thing was shot uh there's three of them australia vienna and um and vegas and i happened to be in san francisco in june last year uh for entrepreneur business live which is resurrecting next year uh, uh back again uh when we're all allow allowed to interact with one another and, um, you know, San Francisco to Vegas is just a, a stone's throw away. So I popped over and my, myself and Roger and a number of other people actually starred in the Bobby the Bear movie. So, Roger, do let us know when that is coming out, because I'd like to see it. But I, I mean, it, it was marvellous. And um, when, we, uh, when we were in Vegas, we went to a piano bar because that was fun. 
And piano bar, if you've not come across the concept, is a wonderful thing where you have a piano. In this case, we had two pianists, uh, both with, I believe, baby grands, and um, you simply request music and they will play whatever tune. So that was great fun. And uh, I think I think we requested Take Me Home Country Road, which was good fun uh, that evening. So that my favorite piano bar is that one, the name which I, escapes me at this moment, but it was on the strip in Vegas. I uh, hope to return. Thank you for that. It is an ask me anything, which means you can really ask anything you like. Luciana de Silva Baptista says hi from uh, Brazil. Patricia Freudenberg in New York has asked, also, you happen to have a great radio voice. Any advice on voice practice or training? I'm lucky because in 2002, when I exited university and started selling, so phone-based sales, I, since then I've been talking pretty much every day. And so I'm very lucky that my, I would say my vocal cords are exceedingly strong um, and my core is strong and all that kind of thing. So work your core. Um, and I remember, um, it was within a few weeks thinking, wow, my, this is when I was in my early twenties, like, wow, my, I feel like my, my, my chest and my voice is getting really strong because I'm talking so much. I was just working those muscles so much more. And, um, so the more you talk, the better your voice will be. Um, I, I don't know anything about, you know, uh, what is it like warming up your voice, vocal cords and things like that. But, uh, so I don't do any warm ups. I just, get on with it and it tends to work i'm i'm too old now for my voice to break uh, i'm no longer an adolescent but i do find that you know by speaking a lot all the time it being the thing i do uh is is speaking communication my voice tends to be nice and strong uh but yeah plenty of water drink warm drinks <laughs> there's nothing I, i've not done anything on, on voice practice or training though um which is crazy right but, but like, i just focus on talking and getting on with it um it's what you say in my opinion that that matters more than anything but good question patricia thank you for asking and it's very kind of you to suggest i have a great radio voice uh i hope that i have a face for radio as they say daniel how do you uh, ask how do you handle needy clients do you deter how do you determine when a relationship is no longer mutually beneficial it's a feeling man it's totally a feeling you tend to realize that there's something in your head like i just i don't look forward to speaking to this person or i'm not looking for it it's really is it like comes through like that and you just think well i'm just not, not looking forward to it and then you need just find a reason to then end it and just like don't say like, i don't get on with you but it's the best thing to do the, the art though daniel is to identify this at the start or the start of a potential relationship and there have been so many potential deals i could have done that i've said no to usually the consulting or coaching ones where i know that that client is a going to be lazy b not pull their weight in terms of the things i am asking them to do each time or or c just like you know scrutinize me all the time and don't have time for it so so if you can feel that if there's maybe a, and the, the the identifiers here or rather the signifiers of this are maybe they're a little bit um uh there's a little bit too much ego when you're onboarding them. it's a really good tell normally if someone doesn't want to defer to your experience or expertise and is looking at you just as the service they're buying and doesn't really care that much absolutely someone to not work with they need to get it they need it's not that i need someone to think i'm amazing but i do need someone to recognize or at least respect that i know what i'm talking about and defer to my wisdom at least for that particular thing and if that if that's the case it tends to be absolutely fine 
Plus, also, that's the value of, of, a, of a kind of an onboarding call or a kind of a, a chat on Zoom or something. You've got to know if you're going to get on with that person. There's often a number of reasons why you might not work with them. But, but if you have a needy client, sometimes they actually need you to be really direct with them because they don't realize they are being needy. Sometimes it might be good feedback. You should always ask, you always start with asking yourself, is this a representation of me not doing a good enough job? Because neediness may actually be a manifestation of them not being quite clear. It may be that they're like, I, just, I don't quite understand, so I keep, need to keep asking you uh, for advice and things. You might think, for goodness sake, you won't leave me alone. But it could be you. It could be that you're not being clear with your explanation of things. So do take that on the chin. It may be the case you just need to adapt or, or make clearer what it is you're trying to explain to them. Um, but it may well be that you've just got someone who can't leave, put it down and leave you alone and they worry about everything. And, and I, as I said, you, you tend to feel that and you can just tell and it's got to get rid of them because like, there's plenty of other people who can deal with them and they're not worth the money unless you desperately need the money. So you charge them a bit more um, to, to kind of offset the pain you have to go through. That's what I've, that's what I've done in the past. Uh, Alejandro, next question. How do we go about getting access to decision makers? Most of the time, they were gatekeepers. Dude, a back door is a really good idea. If you call a receptionist and ask to be put through to the CEO, you won't get to the CEO. So it just doesn't work. And you can. There's an art in it. And it's, it's typically speaking quite hard. But the best way is to, this is what I found from corporate selling, this helped me get loads and loads of deals over the years, is make sure that you're looking for a mutual connection or business. So if I'm going to pitch you, Alejandro, in order to do that, what I would do is look at where we have a mutual connection and an introduction goes a very long way. And if you don't have one, then I would then you can still leverage that person. So I would if I wanted to go, if I needed to get past a gatekeeper, I would say, hey, I need to speak to Alejandro, please. It's about, you know, the work I do with whoever else. That is a mutual connection. Now, I'm not talking about the thing itself. I'm talking about the fact to have a mutual connection. And if that person is okay with you and that person is okay with me, then by proxy, we should be okay with each other, which is why trust can form instantly if you have a mutual connection. It happens all the time. I've used this explanation, this example loads. If you go to a wedding and sit at a dinner table next to someone you don't know, it's easy to strike up a conversation and have trust and get on with them because you both have that mutual connection, okay? No idea who the guy is sitting next to me, but if I say, hey, how do you know Alejandro? He'll say, ah, oh, I went to school with him or whatever. And we hit it off straight away because we've got that commonality through the mutual connection. That works tremendously well. So that's what I would do. Alternatively, use LinkedIn. The nice thing about LinkedIn is when you send a message to them, it tends to go directly to them and you're bypassing that, like kind of short circuiting that whole ridiculously long process sometimes of going through gatekeepers and PAs and things like that. And you can just cut straight to the person you're after. But you better be compelling because if you're not interesting enough, of course, then your your message will go nowhere. So make sure you got that bit down. Good question. Thank you for that. Uh, gosh, there's loads of these here. Uh, marvelous stuff. Streaming 2021 says Roger Wilkerson for Bobby the Bear. Um, Steve Wannerhouse, how did you get so smart, bro? <laughs> I uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, time on the pitch. Uh, lots of time on the pitch practice, uh, practicing stuff. I read a lot. And I like I like my theory, but nothing beats being a practitioner, Steve. Appreciate you very much, my man. Uh, Patricia, thanks for the encouragement. Daniel Nunes, 
asks, do you lose your accent while singing? I don't know. I've not tested the theory, Daniel. I'm not going to start on my live show. <laughs> uh, next question from Carolina Mankowski, who I think is watching on Facebook. When pivoting or rebranding yourself, what's the first thing to do? Do you change the website or update or social? Should you make an announcement or simply go on as usual with new content or work? If you're doing it right, as in social, if you're doing the social right, what should happen is that you're, you you should be sharing what's going on day to day, maybe with stories, maybe with posts and so on. And people, your audience, Carolina, should kind of know who you are and they should be kind of, um, you know, they should be should be clear with you being a certain type of person doing a certain kind of thing. So an announcement is a good thing. And the reason why I suggest you do it is because that audience who you've worked hard to cultivate and keep close over the months and years will be behind you. They'll support you. And that's really marvelous. So if you're saying, I used to do this, thank you audience for your help with that. I'm now gonna be moving towards this and explain why maybe you made the pivot. They'll all say, well, good for you, that's amazing. And what's crucial here is that you're getting momentum at the very start of this pivot moment. So I absolutely would be doing it. And like I say, if you've been doing it right, these people will support you. I'm very fortunate that I've amassed a decent audience that shows up for me in different ways throughout each week that I've worked on over the years. And if I was to make a pivot and announce that, I'm certain there will be, be a lot of people who are, are you know, called to stand up and say, hey, well, good luck with that. That's really awesome. So make sure you're thinking along those lines. And that makes a lot of sense. And you never know who's actually watching in your audience. You may well need the new thing or who knows someone who might need the new thing. So what you're doing is you're just letting everyone know that you're, you're moving direction. And, and they're the very people who may be able to help you get your first clients. So that's really worth doing. Um, really good question. Thank you very much. Ginny and Limery uh, here in the UK. What's good to watch on Netflix at the moment? Where's the topical? Because we've all been stuck at home in the last uh, month or so. Um, I don't really watch telly. Um, uh, I'm very selective about choosing things I might want to watch on YouTube, maybe. I, I have watched The Crown with my wife, which I really enjoyed. Trying to think of something that came out this year, um, uh, the social dilemma. If you've not watched that, this came out this year. They came out this year. Yeah, I really think it is essential viewing for anyone who goes anywhere near social media because it traverses the line between it's good and it's bad because it shows you how it works and why it's built in a certain way. And it's got an element of doom about it, but it does give you good lessons. And I think. There's one, there's one chap towards the end who, you know, this is a guy who's one of the founding fa fathers of engineering these kind of platforms, but he's really, I can't remember who it was, but he was really clear on this idea that you mustn't be led. And one of his bits of advice is never click on something that's suggested to you, you know, like in the news feed, or if you're on YouTube, a video that's suggested, never click on the stuff that's suggested. Because, yes, algorithmically speaking, it may be on point, it might be exactly what you want to watch. But the more you do that, the more you desensitize yourself. Oh, let me, no, bad word, wrong word. The, 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 the less you are honing the, the kind of ability to decide and think for yourself what it is you want. So what he's saying, basically, is if you go to, the, to YouTube, you should be deciding what you watch. And I'm a big, big fan of that way of looking at things. When I see, a, um, if I go to YouTube and I have things show up 
for me. It's nice to see what's been suggested, but it's almost stubbornly, I suppose. But I, I, I want to search for something and actively decide the thing that I'm going, I firstly uncover and secondly decide the thing I'm going to watch rather than be served. Otherwise, I'm being led by the platform as opposed to deciding, you know, how I use the platform. So these platforms should be seen as a tool in the same way as a calculator is picked up to do a sum that you know you need to do and then put down when you're done. It should be the same with social media. I pick it up if I'm in a business context to do a particular thing and then I close it. I pick it up to learn about a certain thing and then I close it. If I'm even social, I pick it up and then I think I try and engage. Who do I want to check out? So it may be that the very people I want to check out are being served to me, but I still want to seek them out because it keeps me in control. I think it's a healthy way of doing it. So the social dilemma, look what the rabbit hole went down there, Ginny, but good question. I don't really watch it, but, but uh, 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 Netflix rather, but social dilemma I think was a fascinating film and a, a piece of, of a um, documentary series and a, a program of it. I think it was really worth watching. A really interesting one. Um, let's see one more question. Uh, Daniel Nunes, uh, who, who's uh, over on, on Facebook, I think, right now, has asked, um, how do you create success stories and leverage them as testimonials? That's the that's the big question, of course. I think what you need to, to be really practical, if you want to create success stories from case studies, be really clear with yourself first. What are the outcomes that you want that set of people to have? that you can, you know you can achieve with them. So if I know, so for instance, my LinkedIn Client Accelerator is designed to get people clients, to help them convert and close on LinkedIn, not get some cute engagement and profile views, is actually to convert to clients. So I knew the first few, I needed case studies, and like the, you know, we've got 30 in there now, it's been brilliant fun the last few months, so the 30 people who've joined, they are, they understand what needs to happen to get clients. And by getting people actual money, so conversion, I therefore have a proof of concept. So the number one rule is to create, create st uh, success stories and leverage them as testimonials. Make sure you're clear on the outcomes that you want, that you know you can get for them, uh, that you can achieve, because that's what you'll be sharing. And then you can create testimonials. And I, I'm, I'm building these at the moment. I'm taking a very long time about it because they're from other sources too. But like, for instance, this morning I recorded another one. The testimonial is me interviewing the person rather than them getting their phone and just recording what they think. It's me interviewing them and they're saying in their words, you know, what the experience is like and what they got as a result of working with me. So they'll be on my featured uh, links on, on, on LinkedIn soon. I think that's what you need to be really clear on the outcomes, make sure they get it and hit them up for testimonials. And when they're feeling good and, and like they're sharing the great feedback, that's when you execute on the ask for a testimonial. It really does work. Really good question. That's what I would do. Make sure you have some way of getting those testimonials shareable. So I'm going to host mine on YouTube, unlisted, and then I will uh, hold, host and I would kind of pull them through via a link onto LinkedIn. That's what will work. Uh, for me, just a big shout out for Startup Business Q&A's sponsor, which is Restream. Thank you very much for you uh, sponsoring this. If you want $10 free credit, just go to restream.io slash join slash Richard Moore. 
So if you're going to try live, you can record video. You don't have to use it for live. It could be just recording video as well. Uh, you will automatically be assigned a $10 credit uh, for checking it out. So thank you very much, Restream, for that. Also, if you're not already in the Entrepreneur Business Group on Facebook, go to facebook.com slash groups slash entrepreneur business group or one word and you can join us there. there's a lot of giveaways and you know money books courses things like that and in the entrepreneur business group um we actually stream live the entrepreneur business live events these are our networking events around the world obviously they're off for the time being because of covid there will probably be a virtual one next year and the new website will be rolled out as well so i'm excited about that uh, there'll be more on that in the group, but that's exclusively uh, you're able to watch the events around the world only in that group. So make sure you join it on Facebook after the live stream. Thank you, everyone, for watching. I really appreciate it. There are loads more people asking things, but I want to say uh, I really appreciate you jumping in. I'll try and get to any other questions in the comments. Uh, thank you very much. Instagram. See you all later. And also thank you very much for watching on uh, Facebook and LinkedIn. Have a wonderful week. Take care of yourself.